Good morning, Church. This is Emmy, and today's first scripture reading is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The second scripture reading is taken from the book of John. Chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and uh, welcome. My name is Nick. I'm the assistant minister here at Knox Church, and I'm so glad to be here with you worshiping together. If you've been able to join us the last two weeks, you'll know that we've been identifying some key practices that we believe ought to be at the center of our life together as a church, and especially so in days like the ones that we know now. If you haven't been able to join us, maybe this is your first time with us, a quick recap for you. Two weeks ago, Phil led us through the practice of Sabbath, a day set apart for rest, when we can attend to God and attend to ourselves. An important practice when, for some of us, home and work have become so blurred together. 
so completely similar to each other. And for many of us, when the news of the day quickly drains away joy, wearies us before we've even gotten out of bed in the morning. Then last week, I talked about listening, that if we're people who are following Jesus, we need to listen for his voice, become used to the way that God speaks in our lives, and prepared for that act of listening to actually change us. So this is the third and final week in this series, and today we'll consider the practice of being in community. There's a lot of lip service that's paid to the importance of community, and it seems to be getting even more focus in days when social distancing is necessary to keep each other safe. But the community that we're talking about here isn't just about having a social life. It's not just about being able to go out for dinner with your friends or head off to the theater or being able to have a party at your house. All of those things are great and they're wonderful parts of life and community, but really they're more the trimming than the structure of the thing itself. Dr. Christine Pohl, who we had the pleasure of having speak to us about community here at Knox a few years ago, notes how people want to be connected, but they don't want to be encumbered. We want to be connected, but we don't want to be encumbered. We all long for community, for a connectedness to other people, but we shudder at the thought that those very connections might somehow weigh us down, might be significant commitments in themselves, might be work that we actually have to practice doing. But that's what community is. You see, the kind of community that people need, the things that have been missing for a very long time and that this pandemic has finally laid bare before us are deep and meaningful relationships across complex networks of support. There is no lack of superficial opportunity for human interaction. And while that can be pleasant and good, it's really like chewing a piece of gum when somebody really needs the goodness of a three-course meal. It's this kind of emptiness, this lack of meaning provided by so many casual relationships in life that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is lamenting in our first scripture reading. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with all his wealth. There was a man all alone, the teacher says, But he must not have been actually, literally alone, not ever talking to another person, because he had wealth. So he must have had clients and employees. Maybe he had some government contacts to get in on all those lucrative arrangements. He must have lived somewhere and therefore had neighbors. There must have been somebody who operated the market stalls where he bought his food. There were people but he was completely alone. This is a meaninglessness that the teacher is seeing, a lack of purpose caused by a dearth of real, deep, meaningful community, the kind of relationship that one might have with a child or a sibling, the kind of relationship that we all actually require to flourish. This should be no surprise to us, and it's certainly no surprise to God, At creation, at the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, God sees the person he has made, Adam, and says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a suitable partner. What is striking to me in this is that Adam was in the garden. 
Adam was in perfect communion and community with God, his creator, and yet it was not good that he was alone. Humanity needs more than relationship with the divine. We need proper relationships with each other. We require others who are like us, who we can love and receive love from, whom we can serve and benefit from the service of, whom we can completely see ourselves in, and in whom we can discover more fully how God has made us to be. It is, in fact, these very kinds of relationships of deep meaning and mutual support that the teacher highlights the importance of. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. As much as we long for connection without encumbrance, It is our very reality that community is a burden we bear as well as a gift that lifts our burdens, which makes it meaningful and worthwhile. Community is not cheap. We must be willing to lift another if they fall. We must be willing to come to the aid of another who is being harmed. But we also receive for ourselves the benefit of these things. We find that we are also no longer alone forced to get back on our feet by ourselves. We are no longer defenseless without a friend by our side. The burden of community is, in fact, the reward of community. To seek connection without encumbrance is to seek a thing which will not satisfy. The American theologian, Stanley Horwas, has said, we live at a time when we believe that we have no story except the story we chose when we had no story. We live in a time when we have been unmoored from the things that have rooted humanity always to a sense of who our people are and what our land is and what our relationship with creation is and fundamentally who we are. And while not all of that reconsidering is inherently bad, the way that we prioritize our conception of freedom, freedom to choose even our own story, freedom to choose all of our relationships and all of our commitments, this is not the way that we were made to be. And it presents a real problem for the development of genuine community and deep friendship. In fact, it's a notion that Jesus really challenges in those words that we heard of his from John chapter 15. Right at the beginning of this passage, Jesus places our story of community within a larger story of community. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. There has been a story of love and community that has existed since before the creation of the world, that has existed at the heart of God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have loved each other, shared themselves with each other, been connected to and beautifully encumbered by one another. And Jesus shares that story with us. This is the same way he has loved us. He has given himself for us, connected himself to us as he became flesh like us, encumbered himself for us, in walking a road that would ultimately lead to death for our sakes. Jesus says this story of God's, 
this story of his, this is your story and my story too. We are a community of love. Remain in my love. So how do we remain in Jesus' love? He says we will remain if we keep his commands. And then he says his command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The Lord Jesus commands his disciples, his beloved, his friends. He commands you and he commands me to love one another. For people who want connection without inconvenience, this sounds inconvenient. For people who want to choose all the stories that we are a part of to pick the relationships which will form us, this sounds like a startling lack of freedom. The Lord Jesus commands that, he lo- that we love each other as he has loved us. Notice that. Notice that love each other comes with a clarifying clause. As I have loved you. Love each other with the love that the Greek text calls agape, the deepest and most affectionate love, an intimate and complete love. Love each other in this way as Jesus has loved you. (laughs) That's a tall order. But in case we weren't clear yet on what it means to be in community the way that God has called us to, Jesus makes it crystal clear as he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lays down one's life for one's friends. This love is a love that sacrifices. The community of Jesus is a community of people who give themselves for each other and do so not out of obligation, no longer servants, but do so willingly as friends who choose to serve out of deep love. Nevertheless, it is still a love that is commanded of us. Indeed, Jesus acknowledges that we did not choose this. We did not choose him, but he chose us. Jesus chose us, chose you and me and all sorts of people to be a people who would remain in his love, who would obey his commands. He knows the demanding thing that he requires of us. Obedience is difficult. Community of this sort that sacrifices, that becomes encumbered by the burdens of another, it is hard. But he also says that he told us these things so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. From all eternity, God has experienced joy, enjoyed this kind of deep community. And in becoming a human, Jesus makes this his joy as well, to love and to serve us, to encumber himself for our sakes. This is the joy of our Lord, and he offers it to us as well, that we would choose sacrifice, choose encumbrance for the sake of others, that our joy would also be complete. Obedience to Jesus as he calls us to love and befriend each other, even when it costs us, even when it's not the thing we would have chosen, is the way of deep and abiding joy. I want to go back for a minute to Dr. Christine Pohl, because in her book, Living into Community, that many of you, I believe, have read, she identified four key practices of community. She talks about promise-keeping, 
that we should be able to trust and rely on each other. That if we say we're going to do something, to call someone, to drop off food for them, whatever it is, that they should be able to count on us to do that. Then she talks about truthfulness, that we have to be honest about the things that we are to each other. We need to be honest about the needs that we have, the difficult places maybe that we find ourselves in, and also truthful about the boundaries that we need. Then she talks about gratitude, that we have to cultivate, we need to work intentionally on being grateful for the people that we're with. It's easy to take the people that surround us for granted, but to redirect our thinking and reorient ourselves and to say that these people are gifts from God to me, for me to love and to serve, for me to receive the gifts of themselves, to cultivate that gratitude for the people who are around us, to learn to love them in deeper ways. And then she talks about hospitality, this practice of creating space for others in our lives so that other people would know they're not a burden, that they are in fact very welcome in our midst, that they are welcome and loved and that there is space and room enough for them. And the reason why I mention these specific ways of being in community together, of choosing to share ourselves with each other, even when it's inconvenient, is for the reason that you heard this morning during the life of the community and you saw in the weekly email yesterday and maybe you've heard about already, these Knox villages. We've divided the city into seven different villages led and cared for by elders in our church with the goal that these can be spaces where people who live close, closer to each other can intentionally love one another meet the needs of others nearby them. Maybe you didn't know that you lived three blocks away from somebody else in your church who needs some help with their groceries. That's the kind of community, the inconvenience that is good love that we want these spaces to be um, opportunities for. That we can meet the needs of others who are nearby us. That we can, in fact, even serve our wider community together. We wonder, can these villages be places where our church learns to depend on each other in deeper ways? Where we can learn to live truthfully as people who really do need one another. Where we can cultivate gratitude for the people who we didn't choose, the neighbors who surround us, the people who Jesus has called into this community. And can these be places where we learn new ways of being hospitable, even when we ought not invite others into our homes? With Thanksgiving just around the corner and restrictions already tightening, many more people than usual will be alone at Thanksgiving this year. And I wonder, are there those who you know who you can prepare a Thanksgiving meal for and drop it off safely? Who you could invite to join you over Zoom to eat it together sometime next weekend? Are there forms of creative hospitality that we can seize upon which could knit us more closely together, which could be a first action of a more radical and deeper community in our church. Jesus, who calls us friends, also commands us to love one another, sets us in a community that we did not choose, and promises that in this way of self-giving love is true, deep, and abiding joy. Dear friends of Jesus, may we learn through him ways to be meaningful friends to each other in this time. 
that in remaining in Jesus' love, all of our relationships would be transformed. Friends, let us remember at all times the command of our Lord, love one another. Amen.